God's word to us this morning begins in Ezekiel chapter 34. We're going to begin in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, and my flock was scattered over the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. As I live, declares the Lord Yahweh, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for a lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I shall demand my sheep from them, and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I shall deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day. When he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing ground, and they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord Yahweh. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. And as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord Yahweh, behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. Is it too slight a thing for you that you should feed in the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pastures, or that you should drink of the clear waters, that you must foul the rest with your feet? And as for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet, and they must drink what what you foul with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh to them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and with shoulder, and thrust at all the weak with your horns, until you have scattered them abroad. Therefore I will deliver my flock, and they will no longer be a prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, Yahweh, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken." 
And I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places around them my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Also the tree of the field will yield its fruit and the earth will yield its increase and they will be secure on their land. Then they will know that I am Yahweh when I have broken the bars of their yoke and have delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they will no longer be a prey to the nations, and the beasts of the earth will not devour them. But they will live securely, and no one will make them afraid. And I will establish for them a renowned planting place, and they will not again be victims of famine in the land, and they will not endure the insults of the nations anymore. Then they will know that I, Yahweh their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord Yahweh. And as for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God, declares the Lord Yahweh. We'll turn now to the Gospel of John, in chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. The Lord Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father." And now please turn to the back of your bulletin and we'll read together as a congregation Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning again. Our text today comes from the 23rd Psalm, which hopefully most of you know. It's a very popular psalm. And if you stop and think for a second through scriptures, what you'll discover, at least for me, is the imagery of the shepherd and the sheep is... uh, well, there's a lot more of it than, than you first think of. It, it penetrates through the entirety of the Bible. God's leaders in the Old Testament were shepherds. The people are constantly being called sheep. Yeah, I don't know if you all would be offended if I called you a sheep, uh, but that's what God calls us. We belong to him. Now, as Hyde read for us out of Ezekiel 34, there is more than one kind of shepherd. God has appointed shepherds in, in uh, Psalm 49. There is a shepherd called death. Underneath the shepherd death, there are many, many under-shepherds who are leading the sheep into death. And you can tell the two apart because those that follow in the footsteps of their father Satan lead the sheep. They consume them. They fail to heal the sick. They hail, fail to to bind up the lame, and they eat the sheep. You can see this fulfilled in the picture of John the Baptist and Herod when he serves his head up on a platter. He's eaten. Separated from that, we have the good shepherd. The picture of the good shepherd, Jesus, who feeds his sheep on the grassy hill. He provides for their every need. The 23rd Psalm brings this together in a song. And it teaches us, it teaches us about our shepherd and it teaches us about our relationship to him. So we're going to spend some time on it. It's short, so hopefully that, that means we can contain ourselves a little bit. If you would, bow with me in prayer. Father, we come before you. We are the people of your pasture. We belong to you. We are sheep that abide under the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to look to you and, uh, and to put all else aside, knowing that you're the one that leads and guides us. You provide for our every need. Teach us this morning, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. It's been another while now since we've been in the Psalms, and the plan moving forward I plan on finishing Psalm 23 and 24, so we're going to finish out the section from Psalm 15 to 24, and then in in two weeks, we'll summarize that after we finish the 24th Psalm, and then the next time you hear from me, I I plan on moving to Colossians for for a little while, so you get a break from the Psalter, for those of you who who are done with it. Don't worry, we'll come back. I'd like to intersperse our books with a continued study of the Psalms in the future. 
But since it's been a while, once again, you remember that uh, this section of the Psalter is framed in, in Psalm 15 and Psalm 24 with entrance into God's house. Uh, we're reminded at the beginning and the end of the section of the requirements of entrance, who can come into God's temple, who can ascend the hill of the Lord. And so that's the, the over, overriding question of the entire section of the Psalter as the, the editors piece these psalms together. They want us to know the answer to that question. And in the very middle of it, in the very middle of the chiastic structure, you see Psalm 19. And it's a reminder, remember, the heavens are proclaiming, they're telling forth the glory of God, and side by side with God's law, together they speak who God is. And God, is, God comes forth, and he's like the sun which comes on high, like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, and nobody can hide from its heat. So this is related to the question of who can enter into God's house, because this is the very picture of God himself. He's like the radiant sun from which nobody can hide. All abide under the heat of that sun. The law comes and uncovers every sin. So who indeed can fulfill the requirements of Psalm 15? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to falsehood? The one who doesn't speak a reproach against his brother? Who is that man who can abide in the undying, unflagging light of God? And of course, the answer is Jesus. So every one of these psalms speak of him. David, in Acts chapter 2, was called a prophet. These psalms are both songs of comfort for us and they're prophecies spoken on the lips of Jesus. So as we saw now a a month ago, Psalm 22, we know that one was on the lips of Jesus because he said the words directly, they're recorded for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But every one of these songs, Jesus sings. And so we can find our understanding, our position in them first by looking at their fulfillment in Jesus and then understanding how we follow in his footsteps behind him. And so that's what we're going to do today. I'm just going to describe for you then so we fit this psalm, again, in this second half of the chiastic structure of Psalm 15 to Psalm 24, remember the middle is Psalm 19, that description of God's glory proclaimed from the heavens and through his word. And then Psalm 20 moves into a prayer for the king. And if you remember, it's, it's been a while now, Psalm 20, that prayer for the king, it's the congregation, it's us praying for the king. And there's this dawning realization that it's the king that enters. It's the king that can abide in the light of the glory of God and reflect that light to his people. And the people find their salvation in that king. And so they realize, even in that Psalm 20, as they sing way back in David's day, they're singing and they're saying, our salvation is wrapped up in the salvation of the king. When he goes out and fights the enemies, if he fails, we fail. Our fates are intertwined. And it's only as we're moving forward that we find that if he can enter God's house, then we can enter with him. Psalm 21 is a response. It's a psalm of thanksgiving because as we, see, as we see the dawning of the righteous king, the good shepherd king that comes, God answers. He fulfills his promise to hear the king and he comes and he answers because of his name. Psalm 22, we know that it seems like a sharp juxtaposition, uh, uh, Psalm 22 this cry of desolation, but in Psalm 22, what we see is the testing of the king. So there's prayer for the king, there's prophetic thanksgiving in Psalm 21, looking forward to the salvation of the king, and then in Psalm 22, we come to the crux of the matter. The king is put to the test, and so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And remember, it's a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. He cries to God, 
in desolation. And it's not just God that seems to have abandoned him, but all of his people. The, the Jews are surrounding him. They're like bulls, like lions, like dogs. They're licking their lips, waiting for the corpse to fall so that they can consume the king. The end of that psalm is a reminder that what the beasts see, the lions, the bulls, and the dogs, they see a picture, and it's half right. And that's the part that gets us. You see, they see a feast, but they've got the picture of the feast turned just a little bit. And so the end of that psalm is a reminder of God looking down, and as he sees the feast, the dogs and the lions and the bulls licking their lips and the Son of God hanging on the cross. Indeed, a feast is being set, and those animals are being transformed into men to dine at the supper of the Son, so that all peoples, all nations, and remember, it goes forward, it goes backwards, the young, those not yet born, those that are sitting on the grave right now, those that have already gone through the grave together, they eat and they proclaim at the end of it that he has done it. God's work is done and it's good. Psalm 23 is juxtaposed against that cry. So the Tradition says that Jesus, as he cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and at, the ends, uh, at the end of his cry, he, get, he gives up his spirit. Tradition says that he quoted from Psalm 22 all the way to Psalm 34, into your hands I commit my spirit. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. But we do know that God, the inspired, uh, God inspired men to edit the Psalms and to put them in this order for us so that right against the cry, and the prophecy of a coming feast, a righteous feast, right against that cry of desolation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have this psalm, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside restful waters. He turns my soul. He restores it. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. To grasp us singing that's this song, think about Jesus first. Jesus now as the sheep. This is one of those psalms that we don't usually invert. Some of them come naturally. We know Psalm 22, Jesus sang it. Psalm 23, we don't usually think about Jesus praying this prayer, singing this song of trust and confidence. But part and parcel with our understanding of this psalm, we're sheep. Some of us are shepherds in, in different senses. But part of the teaching is that in order to become a shepherd, first you have to grapple with your position as a sheep. Remember that David wrote this psalm. He was called the shepherd of Israel. He's the one that's elevated to the position of king, leading the people forth into battle, through battle, into rest. But first, before David could be a shepherd, he has to confess this. Yahweh is my shepherd. I'm a sheep. And without that confession, he would be a failure as a shepherd. Now, Jesus... He makes this same confession to God. 
You might think that's odd at first for some of you, but remember, what is Jesus called? He's the Lamb of God. He's a sheep led to the slaughter. Jesus puts himself in the position of sheep, relegating himself into brotherhood with us. And in looking to God and trusting in God and leaning on God the Father as the shepherd, he pulls him through death. So you can look at Psalm 23 as the fulfillment of all of Jesus' life right up to the cross and through the cross into death, past the grave, into Psalm 24 where the gates are opened up because the King of glory is knocking and he will come in because God has lifted him up to the position of the great shepherd, the shepherd king who will lead all of his people after him into that house which they could not previously enter. So that's where Psalm 23 fits within this sequence. Jesus prays, and if you just think quickly through this psalm, it begins to make sense. When Jesus is, when Jesus is moving through the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil... Who is his shepherd? God. God the Father. Yahweh God leads him, and he doesn't look back. Even when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he doesn't turn around. Whose name does he share? He shares the name of Yahweh God. For his name's sake, he trusts in God, and we saw this in Psalm 22. He trusts in God even on the cross, even even during the moment of desolation, so that theologically we must say that both Jesus was desolate, and yet somehow God was with him simultaneously because the Trinity is not ruptured at the cross. And so both of those things must be true because God is faithful. He leads Jesus in life through death and into resurrection and ascension at his right hand. And so all of these things you can see fulfilled in an even greater sense so that he set a table before me in the presence of my enemies Remember Psalm 22. Jesus is on the cross. He's drinking the sour wine on a sponge. The dogs and the bulls and the lions are licking their lips at Jesus as he's about to die, and the the scene flips. And there's a table, a table proclaiming the goodness of God, which Jesus has set, and he set himself there as the feast. God does this. He restores his soul. Not in the sense that we think about the restoration of our souls from sin and death. Jesus went through death without sin, and yet God in his faithfulness lifted him out of the grave. God, the good shepherd, rescued his sheep. We're going to come back to this at the end because I think it draws out some application for us. I'll mention it as the way through, but right now what I want to do is, as we begin reading this psalm and thinking about it, for ourselves, let me give you a, a quick outline. We'll make a, a couple of comments. So, unsurprisingly, this psalm is a chiasm. So, congratulations. And the structure is, is seen when you look at the, the psalm, the six verses, and, and largely they follow the versification that's been given us. So verse 1, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Yahweh is the shepherd. He goes in front of his sheep. It's uh, an inclusio's form there in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. 
pursue me all the days of my life. So God is in front, as we know from Numbers 33, and behind. Because as we read in Psalm 100, who is good and filled with loving kindness? It's God himself. Yahweh is my shepherd. Yahweh is goodness and loving kindness pursuing after me. So he goes in front and he comes behind, pursuing us into the very house of God where we will dwell forever. The subject of the matter of the psalm is because Yahweh is my shepherd, I want for nothing. And so the middle sections of the psalm are about that wanting for nothing. I lack nothing. And think about your life. Is this true? We'll consider that at the end. Is this true that we, you, lack nothing? Yahweh is my shepherd. He's our shepherd. And because he's our shepherd, I shall have no want. And how does he provide? He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. So this would be the B section of the psalm. And it's framed in verse 5. He feeds us. In verse 5, he feeds us again. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our head with oil and our cup overflows. So a table set, we eat and we drink in the presence of God. God, the good shepherd, Jesus, the good shepherd, sets this table for us today. Within that, you see his guidance. And so there's no want in food and sustenance and rest, but specifically in verse 3 then, he, he pushes the message forward. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness. And in verse 4, he's guiding again. There's a scene shift, but he is with us. Even though I'm walking through the valleys of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. And you can't see this, but in the Hebrew, there is a, uh, there's a little bit of wordplay between the, the word for guiding, which is nakan, and the word for, um, uh, sorry, I lost, lost my place here, comfort, which is nakam. So it's the same, same beginning. <laughs> And the idea in both cases is rest. You bring us to rest by guiding us, by being with us. And so the center of the psalm poetically is the why at the end of verse 3. Why does, why does Yahweh the shepherd do this? He does this for his name's sake. So that makes sense of all of it. Why, why can we be confident? Why can we say that Yahweh is my shepherd? Why can we trust that we'll dwell in the house of in his house forever, that he'll lead us, that goodness and mercy will, will dog on our heels for the rest of our days? It's because of his name, because he's attached his name to us, because it's intertwined. It can't be undone. He's placed his name upon us. And this is the assurance that we have of being named by God for his name's sake. And if you recall when Israel is wandering through the wilderness and they sin in Numbers 14. And God says, oh, I'm not going to let you in. I'm going to destroy you. And Moses comes to intercede for them. And the basis of his intercession is because of your name. Because your name is attached to these people, finish what you promised. Forgive them, renew them, and bring them all the way in. And so that's exactly what God does. This is the basis of of our assurance before him because his name is mixed with ours. You can see this in Ephesians chapter 4. We bow before the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth has been named. 
we receive his name. We're called after Christ, followers of Jesus, fixed on us, called sons of God, and so because of this, God will not abandon us. Now, if you, if you were to parse the psalm, and you're a mathematician, you'd find that the middle of the psalm, not in terms of poetry, but just by sheer numbers. There's 26 words on one half and 26 words on the other. And in the middle, you find in verse 4, you are with me. And so we have the basis of the promise and then the actuality of the promise that the shepherd goes with his sheep. All right, so that's the outline, and I want to spend a little bit more time in each section. So we'll, we'll walk, through, walk through these sections and then come to some interpretation. So, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or I, I will lack nothing. You start out with this declaration, Yahweh is my shepherd, and... This psalm, this psalm because it's, it's used, it's written in children's books and printed on t-shirts. It's, it's used as a comfort psalm in death, and that's appropriate. But there's two ways to take this, this opening phrase. Yahweh is my shepherd. It's a, it's a comfort, and that's right. But it's also a declaration. It's an expression of faith. My shepherd is Yahweh. And you can't detach those two things. So what's important in this phrase is the who, Yahweh, Yahweh is my shepherd. And so it all hinges on who Yahweh is. You have to go back to Exodus Exodus chapter 3 and discover when God gave his memorial name to his people, what's the basis of that name? The basis of the name Yahweh is that he keeps his promises, he remembers his people. It's a memorial name so that the I am does not turn back on what he says. So Part of this, Yahweh is my shepherd, it's good news because of who Yahweh is, but it's not good news if just Yahweh is a shepherd, which is true. Yahweh is a shepherd, but it doesn't mean the same thing unless you can say Yahweh is my shepherd. As you move through the Psalter, God in his wisdom gives us psalms that are written in the first person and in the and the singular first person, and the plural first person. That's not haphazard. Meaning, when, when we sing this psalm specifically, we're encouraged to sing, Yahweh is my shepherd. In this church, we emphasize the corporate nature of the people of God, and rightly so, because the church has, in many ways, abandoned that over the last hundred years, and so we've forgotten it. But we cannot simultaneously forget that Yahweh God calls us as individuals too. So they were individuals and were together. And you can see that in the image of the sheep. For each sheep, Yahweh God is my shepherd, not just our shepherd, but there's also a relationship amongst the flock. So the two go hand in hand. Yahweh is my shepherd. And when we sing this song, it, we sing it for us. Yahweh guides me specifically. The good shepherd is my shepherd. Now, we'll see as we go along that there's a whole flock, and part of the imagery of the shepherd is that the good shepherd gathers the flock together. 
So scattered sheep don't do so great. And so there is both an individuality in Yahweh as my shepherd, and the shepherd has a whole flock that he brings with him. He brings us together into the house of God. And so we keep both in mind. But I want to emphasize and remind you this morning that he is my shepherd. And think about this then as God leads me. I'm going to ask the question then, how does he lead me? Yahweh is my shepherd. Because he's my shepherd, I have no want. I lack for nothing. Again, this is, this is a, you, you can see this as a promise and as a declaration of faith. So when you look at, at your life, when we examine what God is doing, can we say this, Yahweh is my shepherd, I have no want. So for some of us, that, that's more difficult. And you can say, well, it's more difficult because we have more wants or more needs. The word... The word for want or having no lack, to give some color to how God leads us, it's used of the people of Israel. God appointed Moses as a shepherd over the congregation of Israel so that he would go out and lead them and they would not be scattered as a shepherd that have no sheep. That's Numbers 27, 17. He leads them through the wilderness as their shepherd. So Moses is the under-shepherd. Yahweh God goes on ahead as the pillar of fire by day and cloud by night. And throughout that journey through the wilderness, even in the midst of their sins, so for 40 years they wander in the wilderness. At the end of that time in, in Deuteronomy 2, you come through the wilderness and the reflection is there has been no want. You shoot and wear out. They had no, no lack along the way. Now that's what God says. Think about what Israel says. As they exit the land of Egypt, their very first statement is, we're lacking everything. Right? You've brought us out from the land of leeks and unders and cucumbers and garlic. We had it all. And you brought us out and now we've got nothing. It's an accusation against God as the shepherd. You do not provide for us. Now, you have to keep those two views in, in, in mind, and we're not studying that passage, but if you study it in depth, you'll find that likely Israel, well, well they, they weren't lacking. They just thought they might eventually be lacking. They were starting to get thirsty, starting to get hungry. They didn't want to kill all their cattle because they were afraid of the, the return on investment loss. If you, if you lose your cow, you don't have milk. And so they started complaining to God. God, you've led us out of the land of promise, and where are you taking us? You're taking us into a desert that's got nothing, and you are a terrible shepherd. But God says, if you follow me, the good shepherd, he provides for his sheep. You will have no want. So you have to compare that to your life. We have to juxtapose that against what we're looking about around us, and this psalm helps us to do that. So we're going to come to the second half and see that the two images of the green pastures and the valley of the shadow of death, they lay over the top of each other. And it's only in seeing that we, that, that we can come to grips with our life and some of the fallacies of logic that Satan used to try to deceive us into proclaiming an accusation against God as shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want for anything. And that's absolute. When we sing this song, it's a declaration of trust. 
I do not want for anything, and the reason is not because of my strong arm, my many horses, the cows I've got in my pasture, or my bank account, or the many Cheerios that I've stashed under my bed because of Kroger deals. We don't actually have Cheerios. We have other random stuff. Um, All of it, though, is God, God-given. Because He is my shepherd, I have no want. So verse 2, the psalmist, David, he encourages us to think about that, and he brings it forward into an image for sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So he takes and he leads the sheep, and he has the sheep sit down in, uh, in pastures full of food. And he, he leads me beside quiet waters. So you have, you have the lush grass, you have the restful waters, and the sheep is at home at peace. He's got everything he needs. And there's, there's three things going on here. He's got food, he's got water, and the third one is a little bit hidden. He's at rest. So the word that's translated quiet in the NASB, it's the, word, it's the word that's translated rest in Psalm 95. If you recall that psalm, God is accusing his people because along the way in the wilderness, as he guided them as a shepherd, they, 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 they complained. And so Psalm 95 is about the waters of Meribah and Massa where they complained, and God provided a rock And he stood in front of it. He allowed himself to be struck and provided water for the nation of Israel. And yet he says, you complained. And even there, God in his mercy provided. But yet a few chapters later, they come to the border of the land and they refuse to trust the shepherd that provided. And he says, because of this, you will not enter my rest. So God demonstrated himself as a shepherd. He provided even under the complaint and grumbling, he he, he. He took the penalty there, and they refused to enter, and so he says, you shall not enter. Now, you see, there's an imperative to the sheep. It's rather simple. The imperative is, follow me. Follow the shepherd. All the rest fades, fades away, and we'll see that all of the ways that Satan tries to deceive us is by trying to take our eyes off of the shepherd. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to quiet waters. The word pastures is, it can be translated habitation. It has the sense of home. He's leading us home. He's leading us into rest. And you should rightfully think of the table sitting in front of you that as God calls us, as he leads us along the way into his eternal dwelling place, here he provides a table to eat and to drink and to be at rest. We were reminded this morning that We don't fight today. We're at rest in the presence of God. Verse 3. He restores my soul. If you've been reading these psalms, you may remember that that phrase is uh, repeated out of Psalm 19. And so in Psalm 19, we're told the law of Yahweh is perfect. It restores, it turns the soul. That's the the first in verse 7 of the section on the law. And now it's attributed to the shepherd. The shepherd, by his word, turns my soul. Now, 
that has to do with guiding. So when a sheep goes astray, the shepherd grabs him and puts him on the path. He turns him around. And that's fulfilled then in the New Testament when you look at the role of shepherds. God calls them to correct, to rebuke, to exhort. And you do it by word, by the word of God. God calls us, he turns us, he convicts us of our sin through the mouths of men, taking up powerful words by the Spirit to turn our hearts. He corrects us as sheep. He guides us into the paths of righteousness. He, he leads us into the paths of righteousness. And that word paths is a word that the, the root of it is a circle. So it's translated either paths, but the, the interpretation is like wheel ruts in the ground. So you're not treading on a new path, but you're treading on one that's already, already been made for you. You're following a road. When you think about how this psalm is to be interpreted, Jesus went first, right? The shepherd goes ahead. That's why he's the shepherd, because he's gone on ahead. He's beaten the way for the sheep, so you're following in those wheel ruts. It, it, there might be rugged terrain, but the path's already made. It can also be translated camp in the sense of the, the circle of a camp. So he, he leads me into the camps of the righteous, the, the circling of the righteous where there's protection. What is that righteousness? What are the green pastures and the quiet waters? When God accuses the false shepherds of Israel, he says that you are eating my sheep. He says in Jeremiah 3.15 that he's going to appoint a new, a better shepherd to feed his sheep. And the feeding is knowledge and understanding. They're fed on God's word. So when you read through the minor prophets, you find that part of the rebuke of God, part of the punishment of God is there will be a famine of his word. There will be a lack of understanding, confusion, scattering of the sheep because the shepherd will be struck, the sheep will wander, and everybody will do right in their own eyes. And you see that then in our day, there's part of that going on. And we need to address that and think about our, our role in following the shepherd, how he gathers and how he scatters. He guides us in paths of righteousness. The righteousness is along the way than those green pastures and quiet waters. He feeds us on righteousness. He calls us into righteousness. We as sheep have to learn what good food is. Sheep aren't all that smart. It's not a very complimentary view of us as people. And so they eat all kinds of garbage. But Jesus, the good shepherd, leads us along the way in paths of righteousness. And as I mentioned before, the center here is all for this purpose, for his name's sake. The wonderful grace of God is that he's called us by his name. He will not turn back. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Remember, this is parallel then to verse 3 in God's guiding, but now we have a shift of scene. And along with that shift of scene, we have uh, the addition of the, the, the address of God. So he says, you are with me. So we change from Yahweh then to the second person address you, the personal. 
And we can look at this psalm as a pilgrimage. And I think it's helpful to think about Israel wandering through the wilderness. So God is, is leading them, and he's leading them to a place. So there's, there is a wandering, but it's not without purpose. It has a destination. And in the Psalms, we see that destination. It is the house of God. Enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter into God's house and dwell there forever. That's the end of the psalm. But you can look at this in, in two ways. Along the way, there's variation of scenery in which there's, there's green pastures and quiet waters. And there's walks through the valley of the shadow of death. But I think that in some sense, we're encouraged to place the two on top of each other. That's why the psalm is reflexive and, and chiastic, so that we have to align, align the two. He's guiding us in paths of righteousness. When we look at those paths of righteousness as sheep, you look over the edge of the cliff and say, well, God's guiding me, but when I look over, all I see is the valley of the shadow of death. We as sheep don't have a great vision for the path that he's leading us along. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. We already noted that this is fulfilled in Christ, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But it's an encouragement for us. We take our eyes off of the surroundings and fix them on the backside of our Savior. Remember, remember when God sent the serpents among the people of Israel, what he asked them to do? He said, make a bronze servant and lift it up on a pole. It's a really strange story for us until you realize how Jesus interprets it in John chapter 3. The encouragement is look up. Look away from the serpents nipping at your heels and look up to me. Look to the good shepherd and stop paying attention to, to your surroundings so that you're driven by fear. Instead, this declaration of trust is, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it does not matter what the circumstances are. Our Savior has gone before us. He's proven in Psalm 22 that God is faithful. And Jesus, now the anointed good shepherd, the good shepherd king, has gone on ahead so that there is no suffering, no temptation known to men. That's common to men. He hasn't demonstrated he will pull us through. We can prevail. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Because the good shepherd's already walked the path. You're with me. And that evil is both from the outside and from the inside. I fear no evil. As you consider singing this psalm, consider your fears. We live today in a culture that's fear-mongering. We're encouraged to fear. And by the way, this, this, is, this is one of the ways that you can parse out what you should listen to and what you ought not to listen to. God-given wisdom is directed not to fear, but to God. And so we can, we can observe that we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that our shepherds in this country, our shepherd kings who rule over us, are wicked and evil, and yet we have no fear because the good shepherd king walks with us. And so, though everything crumbles along the way, I have no fear because you are with me. I have no fear. And that, that 
should incorporate every genre, every problem of life. When we trust in the shepherd and we walk after him and our children are disobedient and it seems like there is no way out, there's no path forward and we trust him and we're disciplining and there's no effect, I trust God and I fear no evil because God the good shepherd is with us. When we're out of money and it seems like we have want, God is there. I fear no evil. I have no lack. God, the good shepherd, the person of Jesus is with us. When it seems that depression is setting in and we're, we're succumbing to sin, God is with us. If we would but look to our shepherd, we can proclaim, I fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why, why can we fear no evil? Because he's with us and because he has a rod and a staff. Remember that word rod from Psalm chapter 2? God the Father has anointed the shepherd king. He's lifted him up on the holy hill on Mount Zion and he's given him the rod to cross the nation so there is no beast looking on that can overtake us because the shepherd king has the rod to crush the nations. The shepherd king also has the scepter to the, the, the staff to pull the sheep back in. There is no evil, external or internal, that this good shepherd is not aware of, that he cannot correct and turn. He will shatter the nations. He will crush fully and finally the serpent in and through his people. And so we have no fear. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And once again, we see another scene shift. So now... It doesn't seem as though we're sheep anymore because he's setting a table. I don't know any sheep that eat at tables. Maybe the Lenners do. Um, but God prepares for us. He prepares. The good shepherd prepares for us a table in the very presence of our enemies. And this, this is intended to, to be abnormal. In the midst of the battle, God says, my rule is so absolute the shepherd knows what he's doing to the extent that in the middle of the battle, surrounded by enemies, you can say, here, find rest, eat at my table. I will provide for you. And I won't just provide, I'll provide in abundance. If you have but eyes to see and ears to hear, God's provision is such that there's no lack, it's not meager, instead it's to the extent that our cup overflows. This psalm in the chiastic structure of Psalm 15 to 24 is parallel to Psalm 16. You remember, remember that psalm. It says that my delight is in God. For all the saints of the lands, they're excellent ones. In, in, them, in them I find pleasure. At the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. Why? Because you have appointed my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and everything that you've given me is good. Not because it looks good with the eyes of the flesh, but because I trust the shepherd. I trust the destination that he's bringing me to. And so even right now, though the dogs and lions and bulls surround me like they surrounded Christ, I can sit down and I can eat in peace at God's table. And then finally, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy. Goodness and chesed. Remember Psalm 100. This is an attribute that's, that's attached to God's very name. So throughout the Psalter, throughout First and Second Chronicles, as the temple is being built, there's this continued admonition, sing praise to God. Why? Because he's good 
and His loving kindness, His covenant faithfulness, His mercy to the needy. It's all wrapped up in that one word because He's good and He keeps covenant. Those two things have to go together, right? God is good. He, he divides good and evil. He's, he's, he only does good. But along with that goodness, He's faithful to those that He's marked His name on for His name's sake. He keeps that covenant. He shows loving kindness and mercy. And the word here, it doesn't, it, it's not translated well in the NASB. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me. But the word is the word pursue. It's not, not just a lackadaisical following. But the shepherd whose name is goodness and loving kindness will pursue me. It's usually a word that's attached to a lion. It's pursuing you. The beast is coming after you. But now we see as you go through the valley of the shadow of death and you're afraid and fear looms up, who is the one pursuing you? It's God himself. Now, Luke interprets this then in his parable that the good shepherd goes and he pursues the lost sheep. He runs him down. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There is no end to God, his goodness or his faithfulness. And so the assurance then at the end of the psalm is, I will dwell. I'll make my house, my abode, my permanent habitation in the house of Yahweh forever. So this is where the shepherd is leading us. He's leading us into God's house, into the house of Psalm 15 and Psalm 24, which requires clean hands and a pure heart, which requires a soul that's not lifted up to falsehood. God, the person of Jesus, the shepherd, is leading us there. I want to take a minute and think then about application. We, we have to be able to pray this prayer, not just as a, a kind of a comfort, but as a proclamation of truth. We have to teach it to ourselves. My shepherd is Yahweh. Now, along the way, Satan is working through his shepherds to deceive people. And Part of that deception, the predominant one, is that you're bringing us to the wrong destination. So you think about the nation of Israel. God says, you, I brought you through the wilderness. You wanted for nothing. I am the shepherd. And the people complained. There's a complaint registered in Psalm 44 that sounds an awful lot like this. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough water. You're bringing us through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's a cry unto God. And there, there's, there's two ways to make that cry. But the wrong-headed way is as a sheep to start thinking that God has got me off the path. That he's leading me to the wrong place. He doesn't know where he's going. And part of the folly of that is if you just take a step back and think, we are the sheep. The shepherd's already been there. He knows where he's going. He knows where he's leading us. And he promised that, so think of the nation of Israel, he promised, I'm bringing you into the land overflowing with milk and honey, and they get to the border and say, we can't go in there, it's filled with giants. And along the way, they say, where are you bringing us? Because we came from a land that was filled with cucumbers and leeks and onions, and it was wonderful, and here we are in the desert and we've got nothing. And so we're tempted to think along the way that the shepherd's got it wrong. Now, there's a... 
there's a, a slight twist to that in which this is, this is a common error. We think the shepherd's got it right, but we're special cases. So the shepherd knows what he's doing with most of the flock, but you see, I'm different because I've got a black spot right here and none of the other sheep do. Or I'm a little stronger, so I could take this path that's a shortcut. Or I'm a little weaker, so I can't go where he's calling me to go. I can't do it. It's too much. And so I'm a special case, and I've got to take this slight deviation, and I'll catch up with the shepherd just down the road. And that's common. You th think as you look through your lives, and you, you try to teach this psalm to yourself, and you say, Yahweh is my shepherd. I have no want. And then you compare it to your life and say, well, I have a few wants. Because God hasn't provided me everything. Of course, God's command to us is if you're anxious, if you're afraid, if you think you have wants that he's not supplying, you bring them with thanksgiving by supplication and prayer to the foot of the Savior and fear nothing. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will fill you. When we set them down at the footsteps of the shepherd and we say, you know what, I'm going to look at you instead of myself and saying, well, my condition my strength, my weakness, well, they make me a little different, and so maybe this path worked for all the other sheep, but I, I'm on my own, and the times are unprecedented, so it's a little bit different now, so we've got to do things a little differently. That's another one that, watch out, it creeps up on you. This is, this is a special case, and so the way that God laid out in the Bible, we're not going to change it, per se, just, just a slight modification. Another one that you find is, uh, so we think about God as the shepherd, there is a doubting of his shepherding skills because guess what, I'm in a flock that's filled with stupid sheep. So they look around and say, well, these sheep aren't that great. And the fact of the matter is, yeah, we're kind of stupid sheep, but God is leading us. That's the point of the shepherd. And so brothers and sisters, and they, they bend a little to the left and to the right, and God's God, God in, his, in his plan, he uses the work of the Spirit through the people he appoints to pull them back in, to, to lift them back onto the road. And so the admonition is, fix your eyes on the shepherd. Look at him. Don't look away. If you're, if, if you're starting to doubt, if you're becoming depressed, if you're, filled, if you're filled with fear, look to the shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd doesn't mean that all the sheep look the same, right? Our conditions look different. And so there's this temptation to compare amongst the flock and say, well, that guy has no want, that guy has no want, God's good to him, but I'm, I'm my own case. Don't do it. Along with that, there is a temptation to say that, yeah, I trust in God. I know that Jesus is the good shepherd, and I'm following Jesus and I don't have need of any of the men he appoints as shepherd. After all, those guys are for the rest of the flock. This is another error that Israel committed in the, in the wilderness. It was sin, right? So you, you look at the, the sons of Korah. This happened multiple times. They looked at Moses and said, anybody can do that. We're, we're all the same. We're all sheep. But, of course, they were wrong. And so there is danger. God, God brings Jesus through the grave, raises him up as the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. 
And then he appoints shepherds. And so you'll find shepherds in every area of life. The way the word is used in the New Testament, it's specifically regarding the church, and that's on purpose. But there's application here in your families and, and, and in the political environment. Kings are shepherds. But all along the way, we have this temptation to say, those shepherds, they're not good enough. So I'll follow the good shepherd. The problem is that what we've really done is appointed ourselves as the good shepherd. And we'll start wandering off on our own. And you can see that because in onesies and twosies, the judgment of God is, I'll scatter the sheep. It's a result of bad shepherding and sheep that don't follow. And so he'll strike the shepherd. He did it to Jesus. The sheep are scattered. It's fulfilled in his death. But we don't want to be those sheep that are headed off on our own. We follow the good shepherd and we do it through his word, through the spirit, and through his people. All of those together. Now there's an admonition to shepherds too. So as you look at your families, as you look at the church, remember that as shepherds, when we sing this song, because David wrote it as a shepherd, we're sheep first. No matter what form of leadership God has given you, if you are not a sheep first, you will fail as a shepherd. You'll start eating the sheep, you'll fail in healing the sick and binding up the lame and seeking the lost. And if we do that, if we forget that we are his sheep, the people of his pasture, that we belong to him, he's the one that made us, then we will scatter the sheep. We will be the one that consumes and separates and divides until there's nothing left except judgment. Now within the flock, the great shepherd shepherds. There's sheep. So we find out in the New Testament, there's goats, there's wolves. It's the wisdom of the shepherd to call his sheep. And remember what it says in John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Jesus knows, and he appoints us to see under the voice, the word of God, to separate. So what do we do? We hear his voice. God speaks to us today through his word. And his voice, what does it say in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4? If you hear my voice today, enter my rest. It's the same message. Follow the good shepherd and enter all the way to be overcomers into my rest. So put aside every encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, who's gone on ahead of us. He's prepared the path so that there's ruts in the way. He beckons us along. He's behind us at our heels, following us too. And trust. Fear nothing because he is with us. If you wouldn't stand up and let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have appointed Jesus as our shepherd. We thank you that you brought him. You taught him obedience as a son. You brought him into maturity through the things which he suffered. You made him the kind of priest, the faithful high priest that we can come to because he's gone through suffering. He's overcome it. 
He's been raised up. He's entered into your house, and he sits at your right hand. And so today we look to our chief shepherd, and we ask that you would do exactly the things that we're proclaiming in this psalm, that you would guide and keep us. You are good shepherd, that you would feed us where we need feeding. Lord, this morning at the table, Lord, we pray that you would feed us, that you would fill us with joy because we are the people in your presence gathered by the shepherd to sing your praises. We pray that you would help us to put away fear and doubt because you sit on the throne and you see all. Your eyes roam to and fro. You sit above the circle of the heavens looking on the earth. You see the ways of men. You judge between the sheep, the sheep and the rams and the goats. You know the wolves. Lord, you know it all. And so, Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you, the one who sees all things, who knows all things, who's gone on ahead of us, who laid down his life for us, proving once and for all that Jesus is the good, the great shepherd, the door by which we enter into the fold. Help us to cling on to him today. We pray these things in that name. In Jesus' name, our good shepherd, amen.